Welcome back to Labor for Truth. Um, today I wanted to talk about economics a little bit. And really, really this is kind of like the most important thing. This is almost like <laughs> the way I think about it. It's like the gospel of economics, right? So it's like, you know, as a Christian, the main thing that you need to know is that Jesus died for your sins, right? And to me, the main... Um, thing that we need to know about economics is you know that resources are scarce and have alternative uses right that's like the core of economics and the basically the bad news is is the other side of it so it kind of goes together so like law and gospel so the gospel being that you know the resources in the world are limited or scarce and they have alternative uses well the law would be the broken window fallacy and so that's what we're talking about today is essentially like the bad news or, you know, the kind of the constraining news um, about economics is that with it being limited and how about having with the resources being limited and having alternative uses, um, then any sort of waste is is a is a is a loss. So. Um, before, yeah, so we'll just go ahead and jump into the definition of the broken window fallacy, and then I'll give examples of it. And I think it's important because any time that somebody comes to you and makes an argument about um, economics or makes an argument about spending money or um, makes an argument about like certain things that politicians argue for spending money or there are certain political viewpoints that believe in like certain ways of spending money is good, right? But the broken window fallacy is a really good like barometer or thermostat or, you know, uh, yeah, something like that where basically you can read like, uh, yeah, that's a broken window fallacy, right? You can kind of call people out with it. So, um, yeah, I think it's really helpful because then you could say, yeah, that's not a problem or, you know, oh, no, it's a broken window fallacy. And that's pretty much most of economics breaks down to either it is a broken window fallacy or it isn't. And that kind of sounds crazy because it's like, what do you mean? Like all of economics and like all of political theory when it comes to money just comes down to this? Yeah, and you'll see in a minute. So the definition based on Investopedia is... Uh, the broken window fallacy. The broken window fallacy suggests that an event can have unforeseen negative ripple effects if money is redirected to repairing broken items rather than new goods and services. The theory suggests that a boost to one's part of the economy can cause losses to other sectors of the economy. So, to flesh out this, what this means is. Let's say that, um, you know, you're, there's some kids playing in the neighborhood, in your neighborhood, and, you know, they're playing, let's say, baseball, and one hits the ball, hits it really hard, it knocks your window out, and everyone gathers around your house, and they're like, man, that's a bummer, and then one guy pipes up, and he's like, man, well, at least, you know, the window maker, you know, he, he gets to get more money, right, he gets to, um, you know, he's able to sell more windows, right? Because he has to replace your window. And, um, and at first you're like, everybody's like, yeah, yeah, I guess, uh, so, you know, somebody's gonna be able to get a new window bill. That's good. You, you, you help the economy, right? You know, you created more jobs, you know, you have, um, you know, more money's being spent. That's good, right? And so, th- at first you can be deceived because, like, that's, technically true right like that's not a lie um you know somebody because of your disadvantage is going to make more money right but as it says in the, the quote in the definition it says unforeseen negative ripple effects so these are the second and third causes and obviously onward from there but the second and third causes are the main ones that we can kind of understand so um and that's why it comes back to one of my favorite quotes from Milton Friedman that basically plays into this. He says that we look at the intentions of politicians instead of looking at the results. So basically he's saying we look at what people say like, oh, we're going to come and fix your window. And you're like, that's great. 
but we don't look at like the negative effects of of, com- of the government coming in and fixing our windows metaphorically. So to help um, understand this, we got to think about let's like kind of flesh out let's flesh it out to like the second and third effects. So let's say you had saved a couple hundred bucks, right, and you were gonna take that money and go and buy. Um, a new Xbox, let's say, or a new suit, um, whatever it might be, it's a couple hundred bucks, you had saved that up, right, and now you're like, oh man, you know, now I gotta freaking pay for this broken window, right, and so you're not able to spend that money, right, and that's, like I said, it goes back to the definition of economics, economics is scarce resources, so obviously we all only have so much money, and even those who have millions or billions, it's still limited, right? They still, they don't have an unlimited amount of money. Um, and then it has alternative uses. So obviously that $200 could be used on an Xbox. It could be used on a bunch of groceries. You could, you know, invest it and make it into more money. You could put it into buying some toys for your kids. Um, you know, you could buy some more clothes. Um, I mean, you name it, 200 bucks, you can buy all kinds of stuff, you know, you could have bought uh, concert tickets, whatever it might be, right? It could be all kinds of different things, but now you're forced to spend it on that because obviously you don't want a broken window. So the, the fallacy of the situation is it doesn't consider that it doesn't consider the person that has to spend the money that wasn't going to spend the money on that, right? So they had an alternative use. Let's say they're, like I said, they're good. Let's go over the concert, right? I like that. So let's say they were, they were planning on taking their wife. Let's say you were planning on taking on your uh, husband was planning on taking his wife out, wife out to a concert and he hadn't bought the tickets yet, but he was just about to buy it like, you know, later on that afternoon. And now he's like, oh man, I don't have the money to spend it, which let's say in theory, he only has $200 extra, right? Obviously, in real life, you hopefully have more money than $200 in savings. But yeah, let's say in this in this scenario, he only has $200 extra disposable income. And yeah, now he's not going to take his wife out. And so then, you know, the and this is a good example in a way, because with a concert, there's a lot of different moving parts. There's a huge division of labor going on. You know, the people who... Um, like the venue doesn't get that those two concert tickets bought. Um, you know the people who are all the different people playing in the show aren't getting their percentage of the concert tickets from that those particular two people, right? Um, all the different like behind the scenes people, they're not getting their small percentage of you know each you know uh, seat, right? Obviously there might be hundreds or thousands of seats, but you know if you break it down, everybody gets a little cut and they get paid for that night, or you know they're on part of a deal, right? So they're losing on that revenue. So that money was going to be spent on something new, as it says in the thing. It says, um, if the money is redirected to repairing broken items rather than to new goods and services. So this can obviously go also to like businesses. If something's stolen or if something's broken, um, buy an employee and they're not going to charge them, you know, instead of using that money to go buy new stuff they can make profit off of or to be able to buy some other thing to make, you know, uh, things better for their employees or their customers, they're not able to do that. They have to fix the thing. It's, it's a sunk cost. Um, so yeah, I mean, your mind, you could say like, obviously you should, this shouldn't be super complicated. Like if, you know, your window's broken, like say you're the homeowner, and your window is broken at that point, obviously you're like, man, I have to spend the money to fix the window. And it could be anything. This is just the example. Um, it could be, uh, you know, you, somebody threw nails out and popped all your tires or popped a tire or something, you know, on your car, whatever it might be. But yeah, to get past the example, the point is, is that the 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 um the analogy focuses on um the fact that you know the one the people who are behind making windows are going to make get a sale they didn't get before but it doesn't consider that the person who would have spent the money didn't get to spend it in the same way which it's like 
on a on a micro level where it's like you know one man with one window and one sale of a of a window right it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal you're like okay it's a couple hundred bucks but if you scale this and you have a ton of different things that are happening right let's say like every day there's a thousand windows that are broken and let's say every day there's like five thousand tires popped right and let's say um you know every day there's um you know somebody who uh you know breaks something you know breaks a bat let's say you know every every day there's a new bat broken you know that didn't need to be broken i don't know i'm just giving examples of different things right it could be thousands or millions of dollars and you know we're just talking about like regular people um you know interacting with each other and obviously the more important analogy is politics but i'm just saying like on an accidental just kind of like things happen you know like i said the kids weren't trying to break the window it was an accident um but the fallacy is that it was a net gain to to everyone which is not it's a loss it's it's a cost it's you know it costs money that, that money could have been used for something positive and now it's using to be to restore something that negatively happened um so now that you understand basically the fallacy of it which is it's a misdirect because it makes you think that oh yeah they made money and when they really didn't then you can apply this to the government so and this is where we get into more nitty-gritty of it this is an important part the most recent one is a stimulus check so the stimulus check is a massive version of and like a very straightforward version of um the broken window fallacy um especially because the government's the one that caused the the, the shutdown right like they sh- they shut down the economy right and then they're the ones that came around so to me it would be like if a husband beat the mess out of his wife, um, or let's say like a, like a man beat the the crap out of this guy and he was like, he was in the hospital and like he had like broken bones and like he had basically an insane amount of medical bills, right? And he wasn't like, yeah, so he had all his medical bills and then the guy said, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I was, I don't know. I mean, I, gosh, I was having a bad day and man, you know, I don't know, I just lost it. And he's like, don't worry, I'll, I'll cover your medical bills, right? And, you know, what he does is basically he go, he somehow is able to get into this guy's bank account and take the money out of this guy's bank account without him realizing it. Maybe he's like a multimillionaire or something. And he takes the money out of his account and he brings it, I mean, he brings like 20, 20 grand out of this guy's account and gives it back to him, right? That's the fallacy of the stimulus check, right? It said, oh my gosh, I broke your window. And then, then you like go into like their piggy bank, you know, and pull out the like $200 to fix their window, right? It's like, it's a double whammy, you know, and that's the irony of it. That's why like the government thing's even worse. It's not like, it was, it's not an accident, like a kid hitting a baseball into a window. It's like the government intentionally did it. And then the government like is making you pay for it, even though they did the damage, Right. Um, you know, so why this is a problem is, I don't know, I've, I've heard, I've heard basically like at least a couple trillion dollars, let's just say three trillion. So when the government sent us stimulus checks, that money didn't correlate to anything, right? Um, it was literally just, uh, a ledger. It was just an accounting move. They just moved money. And then they just said, here you go. And they just gave it to us, right? There was no value added. They just basically metaphorically printed it and gave it to us. Well, that, that $3 trillion can't be used on any, can't be, um, used on anything else, right? It was taken from us and it was for, and it was forced to be given to us. And part of that is I took a lot of it and did other stuff with it, um, but yeah, they they took they took our money from our pocket and let's say they took out like 40 cents on the dollar, right? So they took out $4 out of 10 or, you know, 40 out of 100, right? And they gave it to other countries and 
they gave it to businesses and yada 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 right and they gave us back 60 cents on our dollar right but they didn't they didn't take it from us in principle they took it from like our kids and our grandkids and our great grandkids because at some point either the dollar's going to fail or you're going to pay it back right so you know they borrowed the money today so that somebody has to pay it back in the future right so not only do they borrow it from us but they borrowed it from our kids and obviously on the macro level that obviously makes the dollar go down in value so they're like double hurting us they're taking our money um they're taking a large percentage of our money to fix the problems they started. So number one, they, they started the problem. Number two, they taking our money and taking a large percentage of it and giving it to different causes that we don't agree to, right? Businesses, other nations, right? Whatever it might be, you know, I didn't agree to that, right? They're doing it against my will. And then number three, they're, they're making my, they're, number, yeah, number three, they're making the dollar go down in value. So not only are they giving me less money, but the, 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 60, the 60 cents on the dollar they're giving me is plummeting in value, right? Because now there's just the market is saturated. Uh, the way I think about it is if like we were playing like the game Monopoly, if somebody just all this, the bank, if somebody was playing the bank and all of a sudden they just showed up with like 5,000 more dollars, right? Your money would become worth less, you know, because all of a sudden, you know, there's 5,000 more dollars in, in, you know, in, in, in the economy, right? So, you know, the price of, um, all the rents, right? The price of the housing and all that would all go up. You wouldn't have any net gain. So, yeah, which I'm not necessarily trying to do a podcast on the stimulus checks, but it, it ends up being you have to kind of break down the levels of it. Um, and that's why I like the broken window fallacy because a broken window fallacy like is almost like a microscope that allows you to have a paradigm that you can like put ideas in or like philosophies or political theories or whatever and you can like kind of put them into the paradigm of broken window fallacy and you can kind of like extract all the fluff and all the smoke screens and just look at the core of it look at like the numbers look at the look at the math look at like the like the 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 effects right the long-term effects you know like if you look if you look at your mortgage right in a 30-year mortgage you know, how much are you paying in the long term, right? You know, you're able to look and see if you look every single month, you have a majority percentage in the beginning is going to be towards the interest and then a little bit towards the principal, right? So you're able to see, you know, step by step, the broken window fallacy helps you to see like the politicians, like it's like a, it's like a mortgage breakdown. So yeah, the stimulus check says it's a perfect example. It's the, well, I'm just saying it's like the, like the whole idea of stimulus right? Like we could just give you money and it'll make everything better, right? Is, is the same idea of that guy showing up being like, well, at least we, at least we uh, gave work to the, the window guy, right? It's, exa- it's literally the broken window fallacy. It literally is. Like it is the epitome of it um, because it says, oh, if we just give you more money, then like you'll buy more stuff and therefore like the economy will be fixed. Hurrah, right? So you're stimulating stuff, but you're, but you're taking away so much value, economic, financial value from the economy because all that money is being broken, spent on broken items. The broken item is the economy, right? That's the stimulus check is fixing the economy, right? They shut down the economy. Now they're just trying to like inject in money into it. And like, you know, you would inject in like blood or something into somebody's veins or, you know, uh, maybe like pain relief, right? They're just trying to inject it in to kind of like get us through to like kind of basically keep us from bottoming out it's like almost like a safety net um but yeah like that money is not being spent on something else like imagine if we spent four trillion dollars on um you know making businesses better you know um if you if businesses were able to use that money and individuals able to buy stuff on their own free terms instead of the government just you know injecting money in like boom all of a sudden trillions of dollars right that's that there's there's nothing but negative effects to that as a short-term fix and politicians can be like hurrah you know the economy didn't like we didn't get another depression but like i said you always gotta remember they caused the problem so it's not a then stimulus checks are not a net gain everything about them is a mirage yes in the short term you have some money that you can spend and you can have some like you can get something that you couldn't get before because you have an extra whatever twelve hundred dollars or whatever four thousand dollars right but like i said 
the, the you really that money was yours that your that money is yours in the first place that the government forced you to take to give to them and then like i said a large percentage of they gave it away the money is worth less because it's inflated and uh they gave it to you all at one time so you know that you're not it's going to be harder to properly spend it versus over time you know maybe you put 50 100 200 away every week or you know every month or whatever it might be and you incrementally kind of grow towards that and you kind of allocate it over time versus just like boom i just got like four grand out of nowhere what am i gonna do with this um the only way you could potentially justify it is obviously this, in a way the stimulus check is our own money. We're getting our own money back, but really that's still part of the fallacy because the only way the stimulus checks could technically work and not be the broken window fallacy is that the government actually had a surplus. The government actually had like its budget, its national budget and state budget. And there was like a surplus of how much they tax. Right. Um, but that's, you know, it's kind of a gray area because the government shouldn't have any surplus, right? That's, that's what's tough, that's tough about it. The government shouldn't have trillions of dollars because if they do, then that means they overtaxed us because the only way they can get, they can have money is if they take money from us, right? So they take money from us. So let's say they, let's say they only, their budget needed only to take like 80, like uh, $80 from everyone. Let's say for example, but they really ended up taking a hundred, right? Well, then they have an extra $20 they took from us, you know, and it doesn't have any allocation towards it, Right. Well, then that's obviously it's up for debate whether taxation is theft and what about taxes. Taxation is legitimate, but there's no two ways about it. The government taking $20 per person extra than they actually need budget wise doesn't make any sense. So in a hypothetical scenario where the government accidentally took extra money, like they actually there's like this one year with whatever reason on accounting error and they took extra money than they needed to on like a grand scale and they happen to have surplus and they gave it back to us. Right, but it wouldn't really be a stimulus check. It would be like a refunding. It would be like, hey, we messed up. Here's like your money that we like totally took, like we shouldn't, right? And that's kind of part of the problem. Like that's why you can get refunds. Well, part of it is because there's tax credits and stuff like that that you can get. But even outside of that, like the government sometimes overcharges you, and that's part of the refund. But that's another conversation. But yeah, so the stimulus checks are a perfect example of the broken window fallacy. Um, we will, you'll come to see in the next, you know, year, five years, 10 years that the dollar is going to become way less valuable. Um, you know, that money that they took from us decades from now, is going to have to be repaid. And a lot of it was, like I said, taken from us and given to somebody else against our will. So it would be like somebody getting, coming into your wallet and you have like a hundred dollars in there and they took like $20 and like gave it to like their cousin in another state and then they took like $20 out of it and like gave it to poor people that you don't even know and you don't even you didn't even agree to right it's like okay here's your stimulus check now spend whatever's left over from your own money it's like what the heck so it's even worse it's even worse than like the scenario the typical scenario of the broken window fallacy because at least like you paid $200 from the window in the first place you lot and then you got to pull out $200 of your own money to pay for it but instead, what happens in this scenario is um, to bring it back to the Brooklyn, to bring it back to the window to try and connect them. Um, the government takes two hundred dollars from you, or well, there's two different ways to go about it. We'll just say they took they took three hundred dollars from you. They took fifty of the dollars and gave it, like I said, to their their cousin Julio, you know, a couple, you know, a couple states over, or let's say in Mexico, right? You know, another country, he took the money, he gave $50 to another country, he took the other 50, he gave it to, you know, uh, businesses or poor people, right? And then he gave you the leftover 200 to spend on your own window, right? The whole point is the $300, all of it was your own money, right? And he took 100 of it and gave you 200 out of your $300, right? And then not only that, but now you don't because of because of how much they jacked up the market, two hundred dollars that two hundred dollars is really only worth like one hundred and seventy dollars because of inflation. The dollars watered down and like buying power, right? So now only did the government like do the like break the window in the first place. They took they're not giving you one hundred dollars out of the three hundred, and now that you don't even you technically have two hundred dollars, but it's not even worth two hundred. It's like it's worth only like 170. So now you're short the money that you need for a window and maybe you have to buy like a less, like a less nice window, right? And the government hit the window in the first place, right? So that's what I'm saying. It's like 
the stimulus checks are so tricky because yes, it solves the problem like in a very, very short way. Like I said, it like it technically like will stop the fall in the short term, but the negative side effects in the long term is that on a massive scale, everyone's getting like $100 out of $300, you know, metaphorically taken away from them. And then that also the leftover is, you know, $30 out of the 200 is, is lost to inflation. Like I'm saying, well, the caveat, these numbers are just random. I'm not like making any particular statement about exact numbers, but yeah, it's like you get, you lose all this money and you're, you, and the government's the one that did the, did the issue. Right. So, and this goes into the next one, another example I have. So the war is very similar to this war is a, is the nature of war is different in this way, but this is like the two main issues I have with war are really these, um, they kind of go together, but um, in in some ways, mm, they're kind of competing for who's the worst war or the stimulus checks, but like which one is like the worst scenario, like the most wasteful and has the most negative ripple effects. Um, all right. So with war, why war is really bad is not only is the money sent to another country but human capital is lost at the same time. So to put it, to, to break it down, the multiple thousands of people that are honorable, hardworking people that are sent off to war, right? Not only is their capital not used during the years or multiple years or you know months that they're not there in the economy, but also if they die, then they're permanently lost, right? They, you know, they will, their capital will never ever be used in the market, right? So their skills and their services will never be used to serve their own country, right? So that's a huge net loss because, you know, let's say, for example, they would have made a million dollars, right? From like, uh, let's say they were 20 years old and they died, right? And they could have worked like another 40 years, let's say, for example, died at 60, right? That's 40 years of work. So let's say um, they would have made a million dollars, right? Well, that if they would have made a million dollars over that whole time, like you add up all their like salaries um, over, over those 40 years, right? Then that company would have made more than a million dollars because obviously, or the company's composite of that he's all worked for would have made more than a million dollars if they would have paid a million dollars, right? You know, let's say they made overall 1.5 million, right? And out of that, they paid him a million dollars, right? So they really made 500,000, right? Off of his labor. So you add that to thousands or tens of thousands or, you know, hundreds of thousands of workers and you add it up to the hundreds or thousands that are, that, that, especially the ones that die because temporarily, like, you know, you can lose that money and obviously that's bad. But yeah, so, like all the people that die in war, those people could have been in the economy and been blessing the economy, um, so let's say a thousand people die in a decade from war, um, and those people would have lived for forty years. Well, that's a thousand people times you know a million. So you know that's going to be, um, yeah, it's like a billion. Well, if you say they all, say the exact, they all the exact same scenario, all the exact same you know profit loss. So one point five million, the company you know makes in total. And then obviously they lose a million to paying them, so they make five hundred thousand. So five hundred thousand times a thousand, so I think that's like five hundred million, I believe. Um, yeah, so it's like hundreds of millions of dollars for every person that's lost that the general economy doesn't doesn't make. Um, let's see, do the math real quick because it's bothering me. Five hundred thousand. 500,000 times 1,000. Yeah, I was right. Whoop, whoop. 500 million. Yeah, so they lost $500 million, all these two companies in total, over 40 years to these only 1,000 people dying to war. So in the short term, you have, um, you know, for that year or two or 10 years or whatever, these people are serving in another country, right? So they're, 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 they're these companies... And therefore, other people are losing their goods and services, right? In America, serving their own country. And then um, the, the, um, the thousands or tens of thousands or millions of people that instead of serving one another in our own country, right? Uh, 
you know, they're having to spend money on military, right? They're having to spend money on spend, sending guns, sending uniforms, sending vehicles, right? Um, sending bombs, sending whatever it might be, right? So all of these things, it appears, right? Oh my gosh, look where I'm pulling all these people, right? Look what we're doing, right? But where's the money going? The money is going one way. And I'm not saying, like, I believe in just war theory. I think that, like, if a, comp- if a country is directly threatening us and we're doing self-defense, that's fine, right? Like, that's the justified reason. Just like there's justified reasons to do taxation, but a lot of it is not justified, right? So that money is going one way. Those people and their capital is not being used, especially if they die. And then also on top of that, all the people that could be serving our own country, you know, making phones and food and cars for our own country, right? Those people are not being um, used for serving our own country. They're being served. They're being sent to go be a part of controlling and killing other people, right? And so we lose human capital, um, short term and long term. We lose also the to the if we were in war, like right now, we're in the war with the Middle East for like 20 years. So we've lost 20 years of people human capital here that could have been used in for serving america directly instead it's using to be served indirectly to go fight a war that's just made up right and it's not justified it's like what are we doing right and so those people could be used for serving our own country but instead they're used for over there not to mention the fourth part is those raw resources right going back to economics uh scarce resources with alternative uses the metal the rubber right um you know the lead for the bullets right all the raw materials that are used in these things right those are being taken away from the free market in in our own country right we're not able to use it there and it's being used for an alternative use which is to go and you know be a part of controlling and killing other people in another country right so all of these things take away from our economy right it takes away resources like raw re- resources it takes away human capital in america um, it takes away, uh, then we get to pay people. So we lose the capital both domestically and foreignly, and we got to pay the people overseas and, and domestically, we got to pay them, right? You got to, you get paid to be in the military, right? You, you know, obviously you're going to be, you know, you're not just volunteering, you're, you're volunteering your life to potentially die, but you're getting paid for it. Right. And then you obviously, we got to pay people to, you know, be able to send people over there. So if it's not a justified war, right then it's a then it's a needless reason and therefore we have a broken window fallacy in the same way it's not it, i don't have a need right now for my window to be broken right but somebody can break my window and be like oh all right it's great look i broke your window yeah we're going to provide a job for somebody else right no that, that money wouldn't have been spent in the first place right so or like let's say like i burned like i got burned down your house you know or somebody burns down your house right well you know like my buddy, he's working on rebuilding somebody's whole house because it got burned down, right? Oh, wow, look at all these jobs. All these contractors are going to have money, right? You got the lumber, you got, you know, everything. I mean, you got everything you can think of in a house, all kinds of different stuff. It's a huge division of labor, right? But now all that money that could have been spent on something else now is spent on rebuilding a whole house. That's, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's just one house, right? So to me, it's kind of scale it, scale that up to all the things that go into war, all that money and all that resources, human capital, finances, just paying straight up, just paying for people, paying for housing, all that. It's just, it's just a suck. And there's no profit involved in it. Like, yes, there might be some sort of like, oh, we can get oil or whatever. But in general, war is a sunk cost, you know, unless you're going to go and just like plunder them, which maybe would have worked like a long time ago. Like whenever we were, you know, like more primitive days where people just had like storehouses of, you know, gold and all that. And you can like literally just go rob them. Right. But our, our currency now is is non-material. You know, we have a fiat, you know, uh, immaterial digital currency, um, you know. So it's not like we just like be um, there's a story in uh, in the Bible where the guy is one of the kings of Israel is like showing off all this treasury trying to brag to like one of the neighboring a couple of the neighboring countries and he's thinking you know he's trying to impress them he's like man look at all this the idiot he was they were thinking oh my gosh that's worth what oh, wait oh my goodness this dude has like millions of dollars worth of 
basically medals and jewelry in here. Oh, you know, you just basically showed them your your goodies. Like you're just showing them, you know, your secret treasure chest, basically. So later on, they went to war, knowing that they could go in there and take all the stuff, which they did. And so, um, yeah. So war doesn't actually create a positive thing, right? Like it says in the thing, uh, in the quote from Investopedia, it says. It's redirected to repairing broken items rather than to new and goods and services. So that money could have been spent on um, the, you know, billions or trillions of dollars that are spent in war, especially in needless war in the past couple of centuries. That money could have been spent on, you know, making better schools, could have been made on making vehicles cheaper and better. It could have been made on making, you know, our houses cheaper Um you know, our TVs and phones cheaper, right? You name it, whatever. Cheaper, better quality, right? More research, right? We could have been able to make more medical advancements, right? We could have been able to make um, more advancements in energy, whatever it might be, right? This money is, 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 that's it. You use it over there in a, in a way that's not really truly needed and justified. And that's it. It's done. You pay those people and, you know, they're good. Yes, some of the some of their money's going to come back to America and they're going to spend it here but they're also going to actually have to pay for stuff there too they're going to have housing there and all that but even that so I'm saying it's even worse it's a doubly worse whenever you take money from America let's say in this example give money to the military they're going to pay for housing they're going to pay for food over there and all that then the money not only is given taken away from America but it's taken away from America to pay them and then a percentage of that is used in the other country so we never get it back right so it's like multiple errors basically multiple red flags of the broken window fallacy and these two to me are really bad um the only one that could compete with it would probably be the welfare state so that's a third one um and like i said see what we're doing here we're sitting here thinking through whether spending money, whether the government spending money is a good idea and whether it's justified and whether it's actually a benefit or it just seems like it's a benefit, right? It appears like it's a benefit because it creates jobs, right? Creates jobs, right? But really it's just protecting jobs, certain jobs. And, but you're, you're, the point is that you're, we're asking the broken window fallacy asks the question, should we have broken the window in the first place? Or, you know, is it good that the window was broken in the first place? Meaning, should we have should we spend the money on the stimulus check, right? Um, is it is it is it um, is there any sort of benefits or is there a net gain to spending the like the money on a stimulus check or spending the money on war, right? And the answer is no. The broken window fallacy says no. You had to spend that two hundred dollars on fixing this window and not on the concert. So the welfare system is a is very similar to the stimulus checks. Um, the problem with the welfare system is, mm, depending on who, well, the the benefit of the stimulus check is that it was more uni- it was somewhat more universal. Obviously, if you made amount of, a certain over a certain amount of money, you didn't get it because you didn't. You, obviously, the idea is that you made too much money, but the stimulus check is like a temporary um, injection into the market. And it is, it's not selective to any particular race and it's not selective to any particular, um, basically medical issues. Cause those are the main ways you can get like the welfare money, right? Is like my wife's mother, my mother-in-law, she has like terrible back problems. And so she's able to get essentially stolen money, right? In order to like fund her life. She doesn't work in years, if not over a decade, I don't know how long exactly, right? So she's gotten a bunch of free money because she's in that much pain that she can't work. And so she's been able to get stolen money through taxation to pay for her back. Um, and so, yeah, pain or race. So the other welfare state is like the or welfare system, usually right now that's been going on for a long time is like the Native Americans and, you know, blacks. So mainly since the 60s, you had the welfare state come in and say, hey, if you don't have a man in the house, if you don't make that much money, then we'll go ahead and basically subsidize your lack of support and we'll be that like backup support or we'll be the alternative support to you. But all that money is, all that money is stolen from everyone else and it's stolen from 
all individuals through taxation, but it's also stolen from the market. In the same way, the money is stolen for war. The money is stolen through stimulus checks, right? Because it's money that I didn't, it's stolen because they didn't come to me and say, hey, Tim, um, do you mind if I take your, your, uh, your, your tax money and spend it on blank, 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 or blank? Do you mind if I take this money and spend it on um, giving it to, you know, Rashida, right? Uh, Tim, do you mind if I take your money and, and spend it on bombing, uh, you know, people in Afghanistan? Hey, Tim, uh, do you mind? And even and even if I said no, they would still say, well, we're going to spend it anyways, right? Um, do you mind if I take your money, you know, you CEO, multimillionaire, and take your money and give it to, you know, people, stimulus checks, right? They didn't ask me, right? So it was a lie and it was stolen, right? And so... I'm not going to get in today until what is justified taxation. That's a whole nother conversation. But this kind of starts to get you thinking. This is the key. Um, now this kind of gets you on alert. When you hear politicians or you hear people who are basically representing a political view, whether it's socialistic or democratic or even the Republicans who are talking about war spending, you can still catch Republicans in war spending logic because, as Rand Paul says, Republicans in the Senate – in Congress, they have deals with each other that they want to be able, the Republicans have the deal with the Democrat to vote for their spending on war, which is the broken window fallacy, but to spend it on war. And then the Democrats and the leftists, right, they have the deal with the Republicans to vote for their stuff, like I'll eat your back, you eat my back, in order to be able to use it on their broken window fallacy, right, which is the welfare state. So they're both spending money on things that are not, um, that are like a suck. They, like, negatively suck on the economy. So the welfare state is um, somewhat better than war in a way. Like, I I really, the more I think about it, like, war makes me the most mad. Um, But even the welfare state, it kind of feeds into high crime rates, so it's kind of tough because all those men that... um, you know, don't have fathers in the home and all these different things because of the well, like that are like ripple effects of the of the welfare state end up making men that kill each other like Chicago. People will die like it's like a war zone over there, you know, so it's like, how do you compare even just like the amount of people that die in Chicago every weekend versus the amount of people that die, you know, every week, you know, in, serving in the military? Well, if you just do like total loss of lives on a human capital level, technically, the welfare state and its, its effects cause more death. So it's like, the stimulus check isn't necessarily going to have that same correlation. The stimulus check isn't, as far as I can tell, is it going to make crime going to go up per se. People are going to have more money, so they're going to spend it in the short term. They're not going to, they, they don't need to do crime because they have money. Um, but obviously, part of the question is, does the pandemic cause more crime because people are losing their jobs and therefore they're desperate and they're going to do more crime? But that's a whole nother conversation that we're going to have to figure out. We're, we'll just see. I would assume there would be some sort of uptick in it, but um, yeah. So the welfare system, I've heard Jason L. Riley, which is like a, um, conservative commentator from, um, the, well, he was from the wall street journal. Now he's with the Manhattan Institute. Like it's like a think tank. And he wrote, please stop helping us, which was a couple podcasts back on. He's the one that I quoted when the whole, please stop helping us, how liberals are holding blacks back. He talks about how the government has spent over $20 trillion on the welfare state, which you think about that. It's pretty close to our total debt. And then another guy named Shelby Steele, which wrote a book called, um, well, one of them was White Guilt. It's one I've read recently, like literally in the past week. And then the other one was, um, I think it's called like By the Color of Our Skin. Basically, he's trying to bring up Martin Luther, you know, like Martin Luther and I have a dream, you know, by the content of our character. I think it's called, but I think it's called the content of our character. So basically he's trying to push more positively towards, we should be looking at blacks based on merit and self-development and their character, not based on, you know, pity and white guilt and victim mentality and, and just free handouts to the welfare state. But yeah, so the money given to the welfare state, is money that could have been um, spent on something else. But instead, it's given to people who aren't good with money, who, you know, don't really have an incentive to, like, save the money, to spend it wisely. Um, that money is not being spent on bu- on building businesses in those neighborhoods, per se, right? 
in the neighbor like the ghettos right the, the money that's given to the to those people right instead of it being built on like rejuvenating the area gentrifying the area um helping the area right um put in entrepreneurs hands those who are most worthy because normally the the most money comes to those who are the smartest right whether it be like you have a, like you're a doctor and your 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 knowledge and skill is valuable or you're an entrepreneur and you're just really fantastic at like adding value and like managing like people adding value and so you get a lot of money so then like basically those who have the most amount of money are those who are going to use the money most wisely or for the most part like more wisely than the rest of society so then they basically become like it's a natural worthy system and so the credit system and the banks like are naturally going to vet out like okay you have plenty of money you've made good business decisions in the past you've been reliable through the credit system and through how much money you have now and through your current you know businesses and yada 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 right they're able to like vet this person and their potential to be successful and use the money to be profitable instead of like losing the money and going bankrupt right but the welfare state says no you're the you're super low skilled you don't have a man in your house to help you right you're not you're a lot of times either not working or you're making very little money right and you probably have multiple kids with multiple dads right but yet so you're basically the least um worthy of the money right on an economic level to spend it well and yet you're just going to get it perpetually and so you're incentivizing people to not actually make more money because the more money they make the less money they get right and so then you have like multiple generations of poverty depending on it so this particular kind of broken window fallacy is really terrible and like really um It's, it's, it's true oppression, really, like, the you know, I know it's like a, like a buzzword, but, like, it truly, like, holds people down. Like, it truly says, like, hey, yeah, like, you're not allowed to get taller than three feet tall financially, right? And, like, if you get taller than that, like, we're going to, like, try and, like, discourage you from doing that by taking away support. So it makes the government basically, like, a father. Like, it makes it a father. Like, you know, it's like... Um, the more money you make, the more money I'll get, less money I'll give you, right? And so then you have this weird dichotomy in relationship versus like, if you make more money, then we're going to, you know, figure something else out. You know, we're going to, there's, there's different ways you could potentially do it, but that's another conversation with the welfare state. But the point is this money is, has alternative uses, right? The, the $20 trillion I gave to these people that just were like, they're, they're still poor, right? Like they gave them twenty trillion dollars over like since the, pretty much since the welfare state started, which is like Lyndon B. Johnson, the Great Society in the sixties. They gave them twenty trillion dollars, and they're still poor. Like they're still undereducated. They still, for the most part, have an eighth grade reading level. They still have a bunch of kids. They still live in like terrible housing. They still have very little business opportunities around them. They still have very little amenities around them. Um, they still have very high crime rates, right? Um, they have very little prospects of getting up, but yet there's just been like $20 trillion just like dumped in their lap over like a long period of time. So this is, you know, basically it's like, it's like somebody, it's like the government saying, keep breaking your window every week and we'll just come and fix it. Right. Like keep breaking your window. Don't worry about it. Like we'll just keep, we'll just keep fixing it. Right. Um, and it's like, if you don't break your window, you know, then we won't give you like the extra money on top of the window, right? Like keep breaking your window and then we'll give you like $200 to fix it plus like an extra 50, right? It's like, why would I keep breaking my window? You know, um, it's kind of hard to give an example of it. I don't know, it's probably think of a better analogy, but to me, I'm just trying to connect to the broken window fallacy. But yeah, the more important thing is that the money is not being spent on anything else. Um, the things that are more worthy because let's say that $20 trillion could have been spent on, um, like, let's say like one trillion could be spent on better schools and another trillion could have been spent on like the automotive system, right? And another trillion could have been spent on, um, you know, getting better energy, right? And another trillion could have been spent on yada, yada, yada. I'm not saying the government should have spent the money, but I'm saying naturally, organically, that money would have been spent in other ways instead of it being taken away or having to be paid back in the future. So it's really a lot of this stuff is going to take like decades or multiple generations to see the effects because at some point you're going to have to pay back the 20 trillion whether the money the dollar just depletes and we all just jump ship like the titanic and it just like hits the iceberg and just dies out and we all just jump out which that's a huge negative because we just like left our currency like the the main national currency other than the euro right 
or we're going to have to figure out how to pay it back. And then, like I said, that $20 trillion, it's going to be worth less. 50 years, 100 years from now, the dollar's only going to get worse, worth less. The, dollar's on, it, the dollar isn't going to go up in value in the long term. As a, if the government keeps printing money, and it's only like, it's delayed. It's like you get punched, and then it's like it takes like a minute to feel it. So, but these are like major things that people talk about, right? These are, you know, stimulus, stimulus checks, war, the welfare state. I mean, like I said, the main issue, the Republicans' main issue is they want to get, they want to make deals to be able to spend money on war. And I just debunked how terrible it is for the, our own economy. And then the welfare state, you know, they want to help the poor, but it would be much better to let that money go to entrepreneurs and business owners to be able to create jobs right that would actually help people to get out of poverty and to become more valuable and help them become actually more skilled and more knowledgeable versus just getting a blank check right so um both of these are terrible they they send they lead to higher death rates um you know they lead to less less development like it's basically like it's like a hamstringing america the trillions and billions and trillions of dollars that are spent on just those two alone so I don't want to go too much longer on those. I want to try and go to a couple more and then we'll end it. But I think those are just so big that it just helps to really flesh it out. The other one that really bothers me is the, the, the federal loans. Um, there's like a, yeah, it's pretty well known that like the majority of loans that are taken out at this point are federal loans. And so... That's like a whole other can of worms to open up in a way because so on on one level the so the the staff that I heard and I don't know if it's still accurate but it's the one I've heard recently is out of 1.7 trillion dollars that were loaned out 1.5 trillion were um were federal loans right so a lot of money was loaned out federally that wouldn't have been loaned out otherwise right only 200 billion of the of that 1.7 trillion was given out that was non-federal which is basically privately funded right so the intentions were good the intentions were like hey we want more people to be educated we want more people being in skilled labor and you know high knowledge labor right we want more money to be going to education yeah i mean if we're going to put any more money in anywhere let's put it into education Right. The problem is, is that same similar issue with health insurance, but and car insurance. But yeah, the basically if a company has a guarantee from the government that they're going to get a lot of money. And they have a guarantee that also there's going to be an influx of demand. Right. So basically because there's one point five trillion dollars, that's just like federally given out with like a very low barrier of getting it right, that wouldn't have been normally earned, then millions of people go to school that shouldn't have gone to school, right, they shouldn't have gone to school, they didn't deserve to go to school, they, they almost, like, they didn't finish, or even they finished, they didn't get a job in the field that they wanted, or they switched degrees, or yada, 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 whatever, you know, and then what happens is, there's still only so many spots, there's still only so many spots at the, the highest level Ivy League schools, the, you know, upper level schools, the, you know, the state schools, right? The lower level schools, there's only so many spots. So if you have a surge of people wanting it, well, that's going to go up in price. To me, it reminds me of Uber. When I used to do Uber full time, if there's a, like a surge of demand for like, let's say like a football game just got out or a concert just got out, the surge will go up to incentivize drivers to come and pick people up and to have to fight through the crowds, through their car to pick these people up and to find them. Right. So it'll go five, 10, or it'll go up by like a dollar amount, like a $10 surge on top of the fee, or it'll be like times three or times five. Right. In order to deal with this temporary demand, right? You're just going to go up in price temporarily. Well, imagine like a permanent surge or a semi-permanent surge, meaning like since the government started sending all this money in, well, the, co- the colleges have basically been assuming they're going to get, you know, 10, 20, whatever, 30, 50 times the demand for their their seats, right? The school is only so much. They only have so many professors, right? And they can add a little bit, but basically there's only so many spots. So, 
you know, they're going to just, but basically the supply and demand is going to, the natural rule of supply and demand is if there's too much demand and not enough supply, especially as you get higher and higher up in the system, like the Ivy League schools is why they're so expensive. It's because there's very little seats compared to how many people want them. So then the price is going to skyrocket. And so then instead of spending $5,000 a year on a state school, right, it'll maybe be like 30000 right? So just on like principal level, you spent an extra $25,000 a year for four years. So you spent an extra $100,000, right? That could have been spent because it was inflated by the government. You, that money could have been spent on buying half a freaking house. That could have been spent on buying a car for you and your wife, right? And then putting a kid through school, right? I don't know. You know, I'm just saying $100,000 in this scenario is let's say school's only $20,000. This is part of the problem too, is the housing market is basically has the same issue. Houses cost way too much because of the same exact issue. Um, because basically the government is loaning out too much money to the banks and then the banks are giving out way too much money to people to be able to get houses when they shouldn't be able to get a house and people are buying too much of a house. So the same exact issue. Whenever you give somebody a blank check and say, hey, you know, you can buy a $400,000 house when really you should only be able to buy a $200,000 house. We have a 30-year mortgage and we can just like put a bunch of interest into it and we can just give it out to pretty much, you know, anybody. Then all of a sudden everybody wants a freaking house. And so everybody wants to get their college degree and everybody wants to get their house. And so everyone thinks that they deserve it, right? We all deserve to be able to play the game, participation, chivalry. Well, that makes everything, all you do is you just make everything go up in price. Like I said, you pay $30,000 a year instead of $5,000. You pay $400,000 for a house and really the house should have been only $100,000, right? Before inflation got a hold of it. So all this money could have been spent on other stuff, but instead people are broke because they're broke from college and they're not able to buy a house. And then the few that are still able to buy a house, even though they have all the debt, then they're broke from the house. So if they either they're getting broke from the house, either they're getting broke from college, or even if, like, let's say they don't go to college, or maybe they went the cheap route, maybe they got a scholarship, then by the time they get to a house, they're getting broke from the house, right? So, you know, all this money that's being inflated because the government is basically just giving out free money, not free which we'll talk about that in a second, but I'm just saying they're giving out money that isn't deserved. It's not earned. It's not worthy, right? The barriers of entry are way too low. So a bunch of people are, are getting into it. So basically the government's going and fixing everybody's windows. It's breaking the windows and fixing it. Well, everybody, well no, we don't want anybody to have any old windows. We got to go fix all, go, go fix all these old ones, right? So they're like, oh, go ahead and break your windows and we'll fix them. Don't worry, right? Um, yeah, so there's no there's no like actual gains, right? All you're doing is just taking money from us, right? Because the government takes the the federal loans and these loans in the banks are money they're taking from us, right? Through taxation or through printing money, right? And then they're giving it back to us with the yet again it being in the money you know the money is inflated, right? So the money's worth less. Yeah, you know, that's what it means. Like I said earlier, the money's worth less, right? Two hundred two hundred dollars. It's really one hundred and seventy. Right. But it's being like inflated everywhere. Right. You know, housing market, student loans. Right. Stimulus checks, the welfare state. Right. All these things, the war. Right. All these things are causing the dollar to just be pushed down. Um, yeah. So the point is, is that going back to it? Well, there's another layer, but we'll get to it in a minute. But um Sorry, I just talked about a lot. I'm trying to get out of my thoughts. So even on that, so paying back those loans, those federal loans, they're like very sharkish in the sense that uh, it's if you pay it back on the timeline that they have directed for you, kind of like how uh, real estate is. Like if you buy a house with a 30-year mortgage and actually pay it off in 30 years, then you're going to pay for like, instead of paying $400,000 for your house, on average, you're going to pay twice as much. You're going to pay $800,000. So, and then if you like paid off your college loans at the same rate, I don't know, but I don't know the exact rate, but maybe two, three, four times as much. So let's say you took out, not only are you taking out more money because the colleges are charging more because of upward demand. So let's say 25000 like I said, so you're an extra $100,000, right? Then by the time you pay it off, let's say you actually wait to the amount of time, let's say it's times four, then you're paying $400,000 extra. So now not only are you paying for a $400,000 house when you can't really afford that, but 
you know, you're able to afford it because of the 30-year mortgage, like, prices, it really spreads it thin, the payments. You're paying $400,000 uh, in principal, and then by the end of it, it's 800000 so you're paying an extra, like I said, you should only really be paying $200,000, so you're paying an extra $600,000 just on the house. And then on the student loans, let's say you did 100000 times four, so that's 400000 So you're basically hitting a million dollars just and student loans and housing just in like inflation and like overpaying and, and, you know, having basically, basically making bad financial decisions and having to overpay on stuff. So that's part of another conversation of you should pay off your house as soon as possible. Um, and then you should also pay off your loans as soon as possible. But obviously, like I said, I'm assuming that you're just paying like the, like what they recommend, which is going to be like really low payment um, like the lowest you can pay basically, basically like the, the equivalent of like a minimum payment in like those worlds, right? Like credit cards, you have minimum payments. So the minimum amount you could pay, but obviously it could be like the most amount you're going to pay in the long term, in the sense of like interest rates. So this applies the same thing to minimum wage. If they, if they made the move the minimum wage from $7 from $3 to $7, there's no net gain. All it means is that the, the, uh, the dollar goes down in value. Right. And then, um, and then everything, the dollar goes down in value, number one, just sheer goes down in value. And then number two, um, because, like I said, because they're paying you more, so there's more money in the, in the market, right? So the money, but then also all the things that go behind getting that product there are going to cost more because they're having to pay more and there's not going to be as much profit. So then the objects themselves when you buy them on the shelf are going to go up in value or yeah they're going to go they're going to cost more so then your buying power goes down so you're doubly hit so and this goes the same for zero percent interest credit cards or or very low interest loans all these things negatively affect economy they all suck the life out of it because those who are actually worthy of the money who are going to be profitable who are going to be reliable right? Who aren't going to go bankrupt. They're most likely not going to go bankrupt, right? They're going to create, you know, the most amount of jobs, right? And they're going to help America, right? And they're going to make, be able to also be able to make good deals with other countries and other people in other countries. Those who are the top, top level, who should be getting the majority of the loans from the banks and who should be able to make them be making most of buying decisions. Those people are not getting the money. And so they're not able, they're not able to create as many jobs. They're not able to drive down the prices of products and services, right? And make them cheaper, right? The, the the cost of raw materials is going to be skyrocketed and that's going to affect everything else, right? Um, we're, we're losing human capital to people dying in war and people dying through high crime rate through the welfare state, like I said, taking the fathers out of the home, right? So all the things I've been saying this past hour is trying to understand that it's not good to break the window, right? It's It's a fallacy. It's not true that it's a net gain and that, oh, it's good because we temporarily created one more window, right? Because like I said, the alternative use in this scenario is that we could have spent the money on a concert or whatever millions of things people can spend their money on, right? But instead, I'm forced to spend the money on the window. And like I said, the most important thing is that the government is the one breaking the window, that's the most important thing in this analogy when it comes to economics. It applies to not only economic politics, but I think the most important area where we can easily fall prey to it. So the government, the most important thing about the government when it comes to money is the government does not have its own money. It's a, it's a, they take money from us. That's why there's a guy who wrote a book called The Takers Versus The Makers. The Takers Versus The Makers. The makers are entrepreneurs and business owners. And the people who work for them, they make stuff. They make valuable things. They help the economy. The takers are the people in government. They take the money from us and give it back to us with less value. And like I said, we just broke down a bunch of different ways why it's less valuable. And I can, I can go into particular podcasts breaking down each one of these in more detail. But all I'm trying to say is we had one fallacy right? We had one economic key fallacy. We should apply it to multiple political things that people argue about. When it comes to like, just looking at the bottom line, not whether we morally should do it or not, right? That's a whole nother conversation, but just looking at the finances and the money of it, all these multiple things that I just brought up, these things are negatively affect the economy. So no, it's not good that the kid broke the window. It really sucks. And we need to understand that. 
scarce resources. We as people in our own pockets know that we only have so much money. The government should act like it only has so much money. It shouldn't just be spending trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. Even if it's giving it back to its own people, it's still, it's still the, government, the money should be given to people who are worthy of it. And that goes into the last one. Like I said, zero percent interest loans. If the government is like saying, please just give out a bunch of loans to business owners and people, just give out a bunch of loans, then the banks are going to be more open to giving out money to people that are unworthy of it, right? They're going to open up their, they're going to lower the bar for people getting in. So that much people are going to get money, and then they're going to go in a bunch of more debt. They're going to get a bunch of more interest rates. They're not going to be able to pay it back. They're going to default. All that money that's being sucked into that person making a bad choices and blowing that money and it going that times the thousands or hundreds of thousands of people that take out loans during these low interest rate times, it's gonna it's a terrible suck on the economy, it's a terrible suck on the dollar, and ultimately it's all stealing from us. The government has to justify taking more of our money, more percentage, and it takes more most of the taxation comes from the upper class in America. It's a whole other conversation from uh, the case against socialism, but I don't want to get into it. But most of the taxation comes from the wealthy. Well, the wealthy are the, and the very high, high wealthy, the top 1%. Those are the smartest people, the most knowledgeable people, the most skilled people, people who are the very top of the food chain. The, you know, Obviously, they get paid so much because they're really, really valuable and indispensable and very rare. And you're going to take away from their ability to serve. You're taking a large portion of their money. Um, and it's not needed. Uh, in most of the 1800s, they took only a very small percentage of people's uh, tax uh, people's income. Um, you know, and then we were able to prosper. 1800s was a huge boom time. So right now with us, with the government having to justify taking so much money, because basically they, because they have the broken window fallacy, they're like, well, we got to spend money on war. We got to do the welfare state. We got to do stimulus checks. We got to do this, 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 this. We have all these reasons to spend money. Oh my gosh. We're just adding jobs, aren't we? We're making more jobs. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're burning houses and rebuilding them. Right. Isn't that great? Right. No, it's not great. So anytime somebody brings this up, you can send them to this podcast or you can be like, what did Tim say that one time? And re-listen to this, whatever it might be. This is here for you to listen to. This is more of a long-term thing for you to think through. So when somebody says, we should spend money on war, then you can come back and listen and say, no, here's all the negative effects on the economy, both human capital, financial, on the dollar, right? All the raw resources, everything that's being sent over there. Like I said, all these different things. They're all terrible suck on the economy. And the money, the, the people who have the most amount of money should, are worthy of it. And they should be the ones that um, get the most amount of the money to spend because they're going to make more jobs. And that's the key. We want to make more jobs, make better things, make things cheaper, but still high quality. So, like I said, the broken window fallacy addresses so many things this is just scratching the surface but these are like kind of the big five stimulus checks uh war welfare state federal student loans slash real estate minimum wage and then the zero percent interest loans but they all kind of are the same thing that's why i kind of towards the end i was like you kind of get the logic that the idea of it taking money away from here and spending it where it's not where it's unneeded or um, not justified so i'll see you in the next one guys